Welcome to our North Women's Bible Study Podcast. So this week we're in Lesson 5, and we're going to be discussing the I Am statements that John gives us in his gospel. And so I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Jean, and Jean is one of the leaders in our Wednesday morning in-person class. And so Jean, we've been friends for a number of years. Yes, we have. And I'm just so excited that you're here with me this morning. And I just, um, I as we begin, I just wanted to, I guess, let everybody out there know that uh, this week in person, we had a very special treat, didn't we? We did, indeed. Yeah, so I asked Abigail Dodds, who is a wonderful bread baker and a member of the North Church. And she's an author. She's also on a North Women's ministry team. And her book, one of her books is called The Bread of Life, Savoring the All-Satisfying Goodness of Jesus Through the Art of Bread Making. And so I asked Abigail uh, over the weekend if she would make us some loaves of bread. I said small loaves of bread for our table, but she made these incredibly beautiful loaves. Don't you agree? I agree. They were just pieces of art. Just, it was they were almost too pretty to eat, but the women did break bread together and they shared it around the tables and it was a delight. And I would like to just read a little bit from the very first chapter in Abigail's book, just a couple paragraphs to kind of set our stage. The goal of this book is to change your diet. I want you to start eating bread every day without moderation. I want you a wash in gluten but not the gluten you buy at the store or eat in your kitchen. I'm not asking you to follow some new gluten-only fad or to research ancient grains or to buy into a method of slow food or fast food. The goal of this book is to awaken your appetite for a different kind of diet, a spiritual diet that consists of the bread of life, the Lord Jesus revealed in the Bible. And that is our prayer for our women's Bible study. And so as we get started on this conversation that we're having here, Jean, I'm just going to open in a prayer that Abigail wrote at the front of her book. Father, whatever it takes, have your way in us. Give us a holy hatred for our sin. Forgive us by the blood of your son for the ways we've sinned against you. Nourish us with the bread of your son and grant us to live forever with you in the age to come. Give us the faith of children as we walk on this earth and the joy of eating your word every day. Make us happy, thankful, holy women who hope in God, even when we are persecuted or sick or sorrowful. Be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And I know Abigail's prayer is that we would just enjoy learning about Jesus, the bread of life. And so uh, we're going to get started here. Now, the Gospel of John is unique in many ways. And so instead of stating his purpose at the beginning of the book, like Luke did, John waited until nearly the end before revealing his intent. So we see his purpose and his promise in John 20, 30 through 31. Would you like to read that for us, Jean? Yes, I would. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, 
which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wow, that is John's purpose. He wants us to believe, to have life, and we need to know this Jesus. And so we're delighted to dig into these I am statements this week. So uh, the Gospel of John is often recommended as a starting place for someone who's considering the claims of Jesus, and it does have amazing clarity on who Jesus is. And he, you know, he did many miracles and these signs that demonstrate the validity of his claims. And then John gives us these very precious I am statements of Jesus by which we can know and believe him. And there's this absolutely stunning prologue, the beginning of his gospel that touches on most of John's major themes. And so I'd like to have us read this as we get started here. John 1, 1 through 18. Would you like to read it, Jean, for us? I will. That would be great. All right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came, but came to bear witness about the light. I'm trying to read between the two. Between the two screens. We have a, we have a screen. I'm just going to stick with this one. Yes. And that's just fine. You know, I just want everybody to know that we haven't scripted this, right, Jean? We certainly haven't. <laughs> okay, back to the truth here. Yes. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Oh, such a beautiful beginning to this gospel. And uh, in your lesson uh, today, the very, I think it's the first question, the themes. And I did underline some of them on the slide here, but let's uh, let's take a minute to just talk through these different themes that we saw. We uh, There's just so many beautiful things that we see reflected even in these I am statements. Was there a few that stood out to you, Jean, that 
were precious to you. I, I love that line that all things were made through him. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he is our amazing creator. All things. Yeah. I think, you know, the idea that that there is light and life that is introduced here is really, I mean, it really points to, you know, Jesus as the light of the world. And, you know, we have life through him. I mean, the, the bread of life, speaking, of course, of eternal life. And I think that there's this uh, kind of battle that's also introduced here, that there is going to be this darkness and this not receiving and this blindness of people that just, they don't accept him. They don't see who he really is. And so that's something that we're going to see throughout, you know, these I am statements is that the reaction to Jesus was not always one of belief or receiving him. So I also think it's really sweet that we see the themes of grace and truth, because we are going to see this over and over as well. Even in this lesson, you know, Jesus as the true vine, and then later on, the way, the truth, and the life. So, you know, we can kind of keep coming back to this prologue in John here to a number of times because it's just beautiful. The more we study, the more you go back and you say, oh, yeah, that's right. He introduced that. And it sets up so many contrasts, light yes. with dark, life with death, death yeah. grace and truth, um, uh, receiving and believing the, the grace yeah. and truth with yeah. the, with the um, deception of the kingdom of darkness. And I love how yes. it prepares us for real life. That's right. It, well, it does, especially in this world that we have today that, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine it could get much darker, but aside from God's grace, I think it could be a lot I darker. Think so. I think so. Yeah. Well, the, the way we've laid out this lesson is uh, we have, there's a total of seven I am statements uh, where Jesus specifically uses those words, I am, and then we could fill in the blank. Is We're only going to go through five of them in this lesson. And then these final two, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to get to those later when we we're kind of progressing through the life of Jesus. I don't know if anyone has noticed that in these lessons, but we kind of started out with his birth, Emmanuel, God with us. And then we talked about some of his early ministry and growing up known as a son. And we're kind of moving toward now in the next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus as the lamb of God, the son of God. We're moving closer to the cross. And then we will talk about the I am statements, the resurrection and the life uh, later on. So these sayings present Jesus in his true glory as God, that he's not just a role model or a great teacher who can give us some nice pithy statements to remember, but he is the great I am. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's the creator, the sustainer of, of all things. And I just think it's it's beautiful that these these five that we're going to cover today are are the ones that we just want to look look to now and look back to the Old Testament to see some of the connections to the Old Testament. So certainly the origin of the name I am goes way back to Moses and his encounter with the burning speaking bush. Right. <laughs> and uh, I just think it's I think it's just lovely of the Lord to have 
had this study kind of following on the heels of all that we learned in Exodus and how much, at least I've enjoyed going back. Yes, and having been in Exodus, there's no doubt that Jesus is linking himself with God the Father. There's no, yeah. there, he doesn't leave any gap there for he's a nice guy. Or yeah. as you were saying, yeah. he, he clearly says, I'm, I'm yeah. the Father and I are one. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, these are clear claims to, to deity that he's mm -hmm. making. This phrase, I am, is what God says to Moses in Exodus 3, where he says, I am who I am. And Moses was to go back to the people of Israel and say, I am has sent me to you. So it's, he also said to say this, he said, the Lord, and that's all capitals, Yahweh, right? That is his, that is his name. And that name, Yahweh, comes directly from the Hebrew, I am, that means to exist, right? Um, and so this is the proper name of God, um, the name that he revealed to Moses as that self-existent one. And so now in addition to this little, you know, look back at the Old Testament, John, before we get to this first I am statement, I am the bread of life, we see that John uses kind of laying maybe some additional groundwork for the I am statements by this incident that happens in John 5, where Jesus heals an in invalid uh, who is laying there lame for 38 years. And rather than the hallelujahs praising God for this miracle, it sparked a rather big controversy. It did. And they were just so incensed. And what was it that made them so mad? Well, one of the issues was that it was on Sunday, on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, yeah. And they were um, very much compelled by the law. And so this was very offensive to them. Yeah. And then he linked himself with the Father. Well, that was yeah. upsetting. Yes. Because I think they they got the gist of what Jesus was meaning by that, calling it his Father work, his Father's work. Um making himself equal with God. I think it said in verse uh, 18. But um, these arguments continued, and it was clear that the religious leaders did not see the truth of who Jesus was. And it was not as if, though, they had been negligent in studying or reading the scriptures, because Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So they failed to see that that was the whole point and content of the scriptures that was to testify about Jesus, that all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And I think we learned that in the fall in the study that we did, Who is the King of Glory?, Cherise so beautifully pointed us to this coming king, Jesus. And but these leaders did not connect the dots. And so then we see that he has another controversial encounter here in John 8. And this is question two in the lesson. And so in verses 23 and 24, Jesus told them something that caused them to say, what? Who are you? What What did he say to them? 
He said that uh, you are from below and I am from above. Uh, things that drew a clear line between them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he says, I'm not of this world. Um, they they just, they didn't, they didn't know what does this mean, right? Uh, are you an alien or... <laughs> So we can we can tell from their reply that they were a little bit taken by surprise and they weren't, you know, exactly sure of what Jesus was saying. It's, it's not every day someone came claiming to be God. And so when Jesus said it the second time a few verses uh, later, then they were more certain of what he was claiming and they certainly wanted to stone him for this blasphemy. But mm -hmm. He introduces something else in a subject here in the next verses, uh, verses 39 to 47. That uh, who their father was, <laughs> um, they they would claim that Abraham was their father, and Jesus mm -hmm. is well telling them that you're from your father, the devil. The devil. That, that must have gone over really well. <laughs> yeah, poke in the eye would have. <laughs> it's like, ouch, right? Yeah, your will is to do your father's desire, mm -hmm. and he's a murderer, and no truth in him, which, I mean, yes, I, they probably would have agreed that that's who Satan was, but they did so. not want to admit that they were related. Absolutely not. Yeah. They, they would have held themselves in very high esteem. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. to think that they didn't know the truth, those sorts of things, that would have not. No, have... no, no. You wouldn't admit that. No, no, absolutely not. Especially in front of your other, your colleagues. You wouldn't do that. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so then they ask more about Jesus' identity in verses 48 through 43 which I was kind of struck by going through this now, again, after our last lesson, mm -hmm. that they, you know, <laughs> are you a Samaritan? You know? Uh -huh. uh, yeah. And, uh, and have a demon. A don't, demon. don't tell us the, that we're children of, of the devil. Like, it seems like mm -hmm. you have a demon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they even ask, are you greater than our father Abraham? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. he, yes, he is. And, and that, that's what he says. He says, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I, I am. am. I mean, their response indicates they understood what Jesus was claiming, right? This was familiar. This statement, I am. They understood because of the God of Abraham, Isaac, right. and Jacob. Right. They knew what he was saying. Yes, absolutely. They did. So, but it was not Jesus' time yet. So he says he hid himself and he went out of the temple. And then um, this is question three now in your lesson. In uh, John 13, Jesus um, tells his disciples of his impending betrayal. He says, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. So that, you know, there's, there's that purpose word that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. I just think it was how wonderful of Jesus to be able to explicitly say that, yes. you know, I want you to know who I am. It must have been very comforting when it happened, just as he said. Yeah. Imagine, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
And then to have the, I was thinking even of the promise of the Spirit that they would have later on. Mm -hmm. Jesus promised that the Spirit would help recall the things that he had said. Mm -hmm. You know, so right. even if they had forgotten this particular thing, right, they would remember it later. And so he, that's, I think it's really sweet. His desire is that we know him as well. So let's look at uh, question four now is when the soldiers were seeking Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him, Jesus approached them and said, whom do you seek? And they answered him, well, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered to them, he says, I am he. And then we see this reaction, you know, why do you, why is this significant, you think? You know, look, Ju Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Ooh. This is an interesting passage, isn't it? It is. It's a powerful, powerful one just to even imagine. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people there were that came to the garden, but it seems to be quite a few. Yeah. And yeah. they all drew back and fell. Yeah. And... Yeah. We have this band of soldiers. We have some officers mm -hmm. from the chief priests and Pharisees. So, and then we have Judas, who was with mm -hmm. them as well. And uh, Jesus was there with the disciples. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a significant number of, of people there. And Jesus, of course, he knew that this would happen, as right. we just we just read. Yeah. Think of the disciples too. Here's this group, scary group, coming, and then they all fall down yeah you know that yeah. and i imagine if i were a disciple i would have been standing there somewhat just open mouth watching all this not not linking things <laughs> just just watching hey what's happening here you know yeah yeah because you know i just wonder had they any clue you know about what was what was going to transpire over the next little while i mean jesus had told them I'm going to the cross. This is going to happen. Right. And yet I'm going up to Jerusalem to die. Mm -hmm. And then here comes this group. Okay. This may be, a, a, were they thinking that quickly? This might be the yeah. death thing. And then they fall down and, you know, it's just, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very interesting, but you know, again, it's here. He is using that statement. I, I am. am. There was power in that name, just in the name, because I'm sure all these people didn't, uh, have an instant belief. Mm -hmm. They just said, we're here. And he said, I, I am. And they fell down. <laughs> I mean, it was the power of the name, not, not some considered reaction on their yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. We are going to uh, transition to uh, this next section. I am the bread of life is the next area that we're going to talk about. And the, the context of this first I am statement is that uh, this happens just one day after Jesus fed that huge crowd of 5,000 plus uh, with just five barley loaves of bread and two small fish. And 
it was multiplied so it wasn't even just enough but there were leftovers mm -hmm. and so then the next day uh, some of the crowd uh, perhaps hungry again their tummies were rumbling and thinking <laughs> they could get more bread to eat they brought up this manna that God had provided back in the wilderness days and and then so Jesus answers them he says truly truly I say to you it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven so we here we have this little glimpse first for the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world and they said to him sir give us this bread always kind of reminds me of the woman at the well oh uh, yes right give us this water so i don't so have to come and <laughs> draw water again and then jesus said to them I am the bread of life. And I just think it's so interesting here that Jesus doesn't say, I will give you the bread of life, like he said about the living water. Right. But he's, he doesn't say, I'll show you the bread of life or I will help you find the bread of life. No, he says, I am the bread of life. And if you feed on me, you'll never be hungry or thirsty again. It's like, Oh, <laughs> and I thought about, well, why would he use this picture of bread? And there's a lot of reasons probably, And but just brainstorming, I thought about the fact that is there anybody that doesn't like bread? You know, I mean, I just think freshly baked, warm bread right out of the oven, slathered with a little <laughs> bit of butter. That hurt me. <laughs> It's just, it's just so delicious. And, uh, you know, unlike seeing um, lutefisk. Right. You know, it's certainly more common. So it would relate to more people. Yes. Everybody knew bread where yes. lutefisk or an everything bagel, <laughs> maybe not everybody would know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's, you know, bread baking has existed for thousands of years and it's all over the world. And so many different kinds of bread that there are flatbread like you said bagels baguettes just tortillas tortillas yeah non non <laughs> yes yes uh in our swedish heritage uh the little village where they make uh flatbread it's called tutul oh yeah so i mean and it's baked in a little oven and rolled mm -hmm. out flat and and of course the norwegians have lefse which is kind of like mm -hmm. a potato kind of tortilla, mm -hmm. but okay, back to our <laughs> lesson here. Uh, the first mention of bread goes right back to the fall. Um, Genesis 3.19 says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. That surprised me. I didn't <laughs> think it was that, that far back in yeah, scripture. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, think about how much work it is to make bread. Yeah. You know, absolutely. It's, there's a lot that goes into it, not just the, uh, you know, mixing that we do in our mixing bowls, but uh, going all the way back to growing the wheat or the barley right. or whatever grain it is that is used. Right. Yeah. Um, bread also symbolizes what we need, at least naturally speaking, as in the Lord's Prayer. You know, give, give us day our daily bread. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, at least in some cultures, bread or dough points to money, you know, and then of course, we think of that person who is earning the wage in the family as the breadwinner. Breadwinner, yeah. So, well, in the Old Testament, we see God's gracious provision of bread. 
and with it, the knowledge and assurance that he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so in our lesson this week, we read from Exodus chapter 16, a little review for those of you that were in the Exodus class. But I also had you go read from John chapter 6, and then to circle all these references to bread and bread from heaven, bread of life. And so let's just talk for a minute about these parallels that we saw between these two passages, because it's so rich, everything that we could, the different connections that we could make. What do you think? It is. It's incredibly rich. And the first thing that sticks out is they both came from heaven. Mm -hmm. They were both miracles. They were both, yes. they were both um, adequate for the need of the people at the time. Yes. Yep, absolutely. God, God provided it. You know, he mm -hmm. provided the manna and he provided, as John 3.16 says, he gave us his one and only son. He provided and they didn't even know what to ask for. They didn't ask for manna when it came. They said, what is it? What is it? <laughs> you know, and Jesus, we we don't realize without awakening from the spirit that we need the life, the bread of life yeah, that he is. That's right. And haven't we seen over and over in these lessons, too, that people are asking, who is he? You know, they didn't understand. You know, is he the Christ? Is he, is he the Messiah? And so they're asking, just like the people of Israel asked about the manna, like, what is this? Yeah. And uh, I think the life-giving qualities mm -hmm. of manna also correspond right. to Jesus bringing us life. And ever fresh. Yes. Every morning they had to go get the manna. Jesus mm -hmm. is never stale, never, mm -hmm. never yesterday's news. That's right. So. Yeah. We don't get the day-old bread. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I also like, actually. <laughs> you put in the toaster, right? Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, yeah, so in some ways, you know, I mean, Jesus could be considered like the living manna. The, the people were feeding on that manna every day. It nourished them for 40 years in the wilderness. They never went hungry. Uh, they had, think about all the all the vitamins and everything that they would have needed was supplied in this manna. Must have been in there somehow. It yeah. Must have been. Because amazing. Because I, I told this to the class this morning, but you know, I I think I could honestly eat bread for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you know that passage that says, "Man shall not live by bread alone." It's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, but you know, the thing is, is if if I, if I only ate bread, I'm sure I would gain all kinds of weight. But I would also be malnourished because I wouldn't be getting the other nutrients nutrients that my body needs. And so this manna that God gave them had everything that they needed. And Jesus is all satisfying. And he gives us everything we need for a life of, of godliness. And we can just thank him, you know, for that. It was Phil Riken who wrote, manna was the original wonder bread. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You know. They had complete satisfaction, and we have that satisfaction in in Jesus. Um, I think the manna was also a reminder, or uh, kind of a almost like a foretaste, because at the end of that forty year journey, they got to go into a new land, right? That already had crops planted, so mm -hmm. they would have been able to get that wheat or whatever cycle yeah. right away. Yeah, to start making their own right, bread there. God had provided bread. that. Right. 
And I think that they said that the the manna was described as sweet, like honey, which is like a foretaste of what God would give them Mm -hmm. in that land flowing with milk and honey. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's, it's like, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right. It's a picture of how precious Jesus really is. He is so sweet to us. And they put a measure of this manna in a some kind of a container and put yeah, it in the ark yeah. so that they could show it to further generations or whatever. And somewhere over mm-hmm. history, it got lost. But it reminds me that when Jesus died on the cross and the veil was torn, there was no longer anything between the manna and, yes. and the common man that, that yes. became available. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing about this, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but, you know, the fact that, you know, we remember all that Jesus has done for us by partaking in communion, where it's, you know, we we break the bread, which is symbolic of his body being broken for us. Right. And so, you know, this morning, even in class, we had a, we had a loaf of bread on the table, passed it around and and the women could each, you know, tear off a piece. It's just, it's so rich in symbolism for us that it's just really beautiful that that Jesus is the bread of life. And something else here in this uh, this passage is that it just stuck out to me as I read it this time that he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And this is not just something like you you just came once upon a time and trusted in Jesus as your savior. But this is an ongoing, he says, whoever comes, like continuing, you're coming to me, coming throughout the day, coming humility as we ponder who he is for us and his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And we plead for more and fresh mercies every day. Right. Right. It's, Come is one of my favorite words in the Bible, has mm-hmm. been for years. Mm-hmm. And then this comes, yeah, you know, the ongoing, constant. Constant, yeah. Yeah, we never just say we've we've taken a bite and that's all we need. That's it's, right. No, it's a continual coming. And then he goes on and he says, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And that's that's, you know, in a similar way, that is what we need to do. It's not just that one-time mental ascent, but it's lifelong belief. It's ongoing trust in Jesus to believe that he's in every aspect of our life, that he that He cares for us, that he has a purpose for us, and that He everything that happens, he is teaching us, that he is all we need in it, that we can just continue to run to him. That continuation is such a... Uh, uh, you know, we had that wonderful bread that uh, Abigail had made this morning. So what if I said, okay, I've had bread. Yeah. That's it. You know, That's and it. then, then you come up and you, you say, well, why don't you come over for lunch? And then, nope. I had bread, uh-huh. you know, and, and I, yeah. and I never, never tried bread again. I've had yeah. it. Yeah. Why would I try it again? Right. And that would just be so. It's ridiculous. Right? It is. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. And so for people that might say, Oh, oh yeah, I I took that bite of bread forty years yes, ago, right. and I'm 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 a Christian. I had manna that first day. I don't need it today. That was <laughs> how sad. Yeah, yeah, how sad. 
Well, I think, you know, the other aspect of this that that came out to me in the in the Exodus 16 passage was where God said, when he sent the manna, he said, and in the morning, you know, like when the manna came, you'll see my glory. Yes. His glory yes. was in the manna. in the manna. And I just think his his glory is in Jesus. Right. Just like he, you know, Jesus as that the living manna, the living bread. And I think all along our life, our spiritual life, we need to be looking, trying to get glimpses of his glory. You know, so whether we're in a time of grief or sadness and we see him lovingly caring for us or when we're in trouble and he rescues us or when we're feeling our faith is a little shaky and we're afraid we're going to lose our faith, calling out for him and having him come alongside us and say, I'm going to hold you fast through this. I think in each and every one of those kind of circumstances, we see his sovereign hand at work and then we give him the glory. And we then can testify mm -hmm. to others around us. Right. You know? Do you think that the, that the people would be out in the morning collecting this manna, seeing the glory of God, and then they go and murmur, oh, it's manna again? <laughs> you know, if we're living, if, if we're really, if we're really focused on the glory of God, if we're really tuned mm -hmm. into that, it yeah. would be pretty hard to complain about, oh, manna again today, wouldn't it? You'd think so, but <laughs> they did, and I'm afraid we fall into times of grumbling as well. We do. We are our father's children. Yeah. You know, in fact, I I skipped over this, but, you know, um, Keith Green was a music uh, artist back in the day and had a song called, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. <laughs> and he said, in the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And we sure had winter last night for dinner. Flaming manna souffle. <laughs> oh, manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna cotti, a manna bread. <laughs> but God did supply for all their needs. You know, I think just one more aspect of this, I guess, is um, just talking about the spiritual nature of this, you know, Jesus being the bread of life, is that um, we're meant to share this bread, like we did with the bread around the tables today. I'm really hoping that as women go through this study and as they're learning about Jesus, they'll share. They'll share what they're learning. And there might be some weeks when there's extra time and maybe you gather in abundance, like the people of Israel. You know, it mm -hmm. said some gathered more, some gathered less, but there was always enough for everyone. And I think our sisters would be blessed. I think in those 40 years of eating manna, they traded recipes. <laughs> you know, somebody would come up, you know, I've, I've got that. What, what, what were some of those Keith Green ones? You know, oh, yeah, like those, those banana bread or something, you know. And, yeah. and, and isn't that a picture that we want to share Yes, the, the way we see the yes. Lord, the bread of life? Yes, that's right. Another question I have for, for us to ponder is, what do we try to sustain ourselves with? What are we feeding on? And... I think, you know, there's that statement, you are what you eat. And I think that relating to the spiritual is that I think that, you know, as we feed on Jesus, I think we'll find that he can sustain us through whatever 
fears or temptations or whatever mm -hmm. it is that is facing us. But I fear, or I suspect, maybe is a better word, that a lot of us maybe don't always feel that hungry when we wake up every morning. Right. And we're sometimes satisfied with our life the way it is. And we're, we don't we're feel looking needy. to donuts for the nutrition that we're not going to get there. Mm -hmm. At least I'm, 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 I'm aware that I do. Uh, your question was just really, really hit me. What am I feeding on? Where am I seeking my nourishment? Mm -hmm. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something we all have to look at. Daily. It's, a, daily. it's another one of those dailies. Daily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there's another statement that I, I, that I was reminded of. We say this in our family quite often that is hunger is the best sauce that, you know, when you are really, really hungry, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich tastes amazing. That's right. That's right. But when you are not hungry, you could have this amazing meal of, you know, steak and mashed potatoes. And, you know, you could be invited to sit down to a banquet. And if you're not hungry, nothing looks good to you. That's right. That's right. And God has set a banquet <laughs> before us. And I think sometimes we just fill up on, on junk, on junk, the donuts, yeah. like yep. you said, the donuts yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Proverbs 27, seven tells us that a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter, every bitter thing is sweet. So it is, it is something that when we are hungry, I think we just, we find our souls satisfied. And I think it's, it's good to call out to the Lord and say, I want more of you. I think that's good because I think we can tell ourselves, I'm not really hungry. I think we do that physically because mm -hmm. we are craving a snack right now and, and the scale says that's not a good idea. And so, <laughs> so physically or humanly, we're used to telling ourselves, I'm not really hungry. And I think we can do that spiritually and say, I yeah. don't really have any needs. I'm 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 okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. okay. Mm. So that praying for that hunger every day. Yes. That's a, that's a good point, yeah. Pam. Yeah. And I think Deuteronomy makes this point, Deuteronomy 8.3. It says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, mm. and then feeding <laughs> you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So I think it would be appropriate for us to say, Lord, cause me to hunger. Isn't that an example of our gracious God? Yeah. It's all initiative. He's making yeah. us hungry and he's supplying, mm -hmm. helping us to appreciate what he gives, helping us yeah. to see our needs yeah. that he supplies. Yes. He covers all the bases. He sure does. And he promises that, that we will be satisfied. You know, Psalm 107.9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And that's, that's what Jesus is promising here in, in John 6. And, you know, as we close out this section on uh, the bread of life, I just have a quote here from Pastor John Piper. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things 
and there is no room for the great. I just thought I can feel that one. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think that it's good for all of us to remember to let's just fill ourselves up in the morning when we come to meet him. Pray, you know, satisfy me in the mm -hmm. morning, right? Yes. yes. Okay, we're going to move on to the I am the light of the world section here. And uh, we see just beautiful allusions here in this section to, well, here I just have a, I have a beautiful picture here of what was going on at the time Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And we're going to get back to that. But um, back in creation, we saw this theme of light way back in Genesis 1, when God said, let there be light. Yes. It's just amazing. And then David wrote in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. That is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And light is powerful throughout. We have the pillar of light in the wilderness and we have mm -hmm. Gideon with the pitchers with light That's when he's right. attacking the enemy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's just so many times, you know, when, when light is contrasted with darkness. darkness yeah. 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 There's so many things that light does for us. I was just, I was just thinking of the, psalm that talks about that god's word is a lamp mm -hmm. unto our feet and a light unto our path so it's something that illuminates for a purpose mm -hmm. and then john of course you know this is i think we're we're up to question nine here aren't we well we're really making a quick progress through our lesson but this is fun okay so question nine uh we went back to the prologue again i instructed you guys to uh to just highlight or to circle the word light because we saw there in john 1 9 the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world jesus who who brings this light and of course this this hymn hark the herald angels sing you know mm -hmm. is just light and life to all he brings it's a beautiful beautiful picture and it list this last year during advent that was our theme here at the north church we looked at light and all the different aspects of Jesus coming, you know, in light. So, but here at, um, in lesson four, we learned about the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And that's the setting of John 8, 12, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And then a few verses later, right before giving a blind man sight, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And so we talked in our, our groups this morning uh, through these questions about Jesus being the true light and how, in what sense is he the light of the world? Did you have some rich discussion at your table today? We always have rich discussion <laughs> at our table. Once in a while, it gets a little off the lesson. But <laughs> Um, well, I was just thinking as you were talking just now that I hadn't been thinking about when we were discussing our questions, but think of the context of when Jesus says this and what they have for light yeah. in those days. You know, a candle was a bright thing. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't, they had those oil lamps, which we've, somebody gave us one and it is not much better than a candle. Mm -hmm. So when he says the light has come into the world, we think of sunrise, perhaps. And what a difference that is from a candle. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light, he is saying something that's perhaps more meaningful. I had more impact in that 
right. than it does when we just turn on a switch and we've got all the light we ever need for any task we're ever going to do night or day. That's right. Which was none of our discussion this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, isn't this fun? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, he, there's, there's just so many aspects of what light does for us. You know, I just think it's amazing here. Like this is verse or uh, question 11, but as followers of Jesus, you know, he, he, you know, he says the light should, should characterize us as well. You know, he not only says that he's the light of the world, he says, you are the light of the world. You know, like a city set on a hill. Like, like, you know, I think of the, the verse that, or the, the song that we sing as kids. This little, this little light of mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm going to let it shine. It's it's encouraging too because you can have a a large roof, a large room. Think of like a maybe a gymnasium that doesn't have any external windows in the dark. Mm -hmm. And if somebody in the gymnasium lights a candle, yeah. it can be seen from any part. So when he says you're the light of the world, it encourages me that, you know, maybe I'm just a little match, but if God can use that match in the gymnasium, amen, go ahead. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, it's beautiful here that, that he refers to us, you know, in Luke as sons of, sons light. of light. Wow. Yeah. And I think if we think about even like our, our solar system, you know, we think of God maybe as being the sun you know, think of us as believers. We're reflecting his light. We're more like the moon. Yes. Right. And yes. that, so when he's saying you are the light of the world, you know, it's, it is a reflected light, but we are, you know, think about how bright it is when there's a full moon outside. Mm -hmm. It has no light of its own. It only reflects the light that, you know, is exposed to the light of the sun. And so I think it's, it's a pretty interesting picture about, of how we have to have that time exposed to the, oh, yes. to the sun in order to reflect right. his light around us. And I think there's an element in there that we're being observed. Yes. That, uh, mm -hmm. That's part of being light. Yeah. Whether we, whether we recognize it or are intentional, that's probably part of it. Yeah. As believers, that's, yes. that's what we are. We are, we are lights and, and we're not to hide it under a bushel or as the song goes. Yeah. So question 12 is how does Paul describe what Jesus has done for us in salvation? And I just think this is a beautiful, beautiful statement in Colossians 1.13. Do you have that there that you could read? I, um, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Sins. Sins. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> One or two. <laughs> or more. Yes. Isn't that beautiful that, I mean, Paul's image here is that before Jesus has redeemed us, we are we are in the dark. And then he transfers us mm -hmm. to his kingdom. And think how impractical the darkness is. I mean, do you oh. garden in the dark? Uh, do you hem no. your slacks in the dark? No, no, we don't do anything practical in the dark. No, no. So. sleeping isn't real practical. 
Well, I suppose oh, it is. It restores us. It, it, I do. Yeah. I sleep in we the dark. We don't want to carry this one too far, <laughs> but but you know, if you're if you're going to do something, you don't do it in the dark. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or even as um, I mean, the things that are done in the dark. I mean, I think oh, John. Yes. You know, it's it's the evil deeds that are done in the dark that that John says in the prologue. You know, they people they hate the light because it exposes their evil deeds. We had early curfews in the house I grew up in. And it was my dad's philosophy that he stated quite often, nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> and he had a point. He had yeah. a point. <laughs> yes, there's, there's a valid point there. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about how our new life in Christ is described in terms of light. And these passages in 1 John chapter 1 and 2 are just beautiful because he uses that image that we are, you know, our new life in Christ is walking in the light. And so, you know, John in that epistle talks about us becoming more holy, you know, that, that idea of, you know, we're progressively being made more like him. And that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we don't. That doesn't fit, does it? No, it doesn't fit our our new life in Christ to be walking, you know, in the darkness, to be walking in sin. And so it's a beautiful promise then that that if we come to him and confess our sin, that he will he will forgive us. And we talked we talked about that at our mm -hmm, table at, at mm -hmm. a little bit of length about how um the light and and that is related to fellowship with God and with each other. Mm. And if we're in the darkness. We're not even fellowshipping with each other. Oh, yeah. It isn't the same. Yeah, but before yeah. we left uh -huh. Colossians, I did yes. want to say that um, we, we read Colossians 13, but in verse 12, it says, um, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And in I just, light. I like yes. that. I like that phrase. So now the we can go back on that. The inheritance of the saints. Mm -hmm. oh. In light, in light, saint, in light. So that's think of yourself as a saint in light. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Let's uh, let's jump to question fourteen. Why do you think people resist Jesus' light, his truth, his view of the Father? Because I can't hide what <laughs> those things I do after midnight. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's uh, the light has that quality of exposing the dirt that's there that's right you know the light will show how crooked the hem is that i <laughs> did in the dark right. or or the the uh, i know when the sun comes shining in the window how you can see oh. the dust <laughs> yes how does the world's so-called light differ from jesus light this is question 15. the world well, thinks the, they have light they do and it's generally renamed enlightenment which is all about man, man's accomplishments, or, or in general, it would be man's accomplishment. Yeah. Where Jesus' light is the truth about God, yeah. which is real truth. It's a real foundation, and it, it. And as I'm learning the foundation about God, I'm learning fundamentals about me, which are pretty yeah. far off from what the Enlightenment will tell me about yes. me. Mm -hmm. Very true. And we live in a culture that is wants to think that they are enlightened, mm -hmm. but they really are in the dark. 
That's right. Yeah. Well, let's talk for a minute about what can block the light of Jesus in this world or what can obstruct our light even from shining. You know, if we are also, you know, the light of the world. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, the thing that the illustration that stands out to me is the Pharisees in the New Testament and what, you know, what losers they were. And we don't want to be like that, you know. We don't. And yet I find myself being quite legalistic at times. And, and it's the same thing. It's hiding the truth. It's hiding the light. I, I get, um, I want things done in the grid, by the rules, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. can hide the yeah. truth of, of yeah. who Jesus is. Yeah. A thought of pride, too, is something that can get in the way. Absolutely. Um, I think and we're all good at that. <laughs> <laughs> we are. <laughs> at least I am. <laughs> we can be proud of that, right? <laughs> well, I just, you know, I think uh, I was... I don't know if you know that I have a background in science and not that I know a lot about science, but I was even thinking about the idea of our solar system and how, if we think of God as the sun and we think of us being the, the, the moon, you know, like reflecting the light of Jesus to the, to the world, the earth, you know, there are times when the moon gets between the earth and the sun, mm -hmm. like when we make it all about us and yes. we block out the light yes. from the sun and that keeps yes. us the light from getting to to the world or to the to the earth and you know we try taking our own glory you know on ourselves and i thought you know the other thing that happens is a lunar eclipse mm -hmm. and in a lunar eclipse it's the earth that gets between the moon and the sun mm -hmm. and you know you picture that i just think sometimes we as believers can get so caught up in the things of this world that that can obstruct the that we're not there where we're 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 exposed to the light we're not mm -hmm. um, you know yeah and I think that um, I just think it's important for us to be able to just continue to look to Jesus as the light of the world and then just plead with Him to you know help us to reflect that that light you know in the world. And so as we close out this section on Jesus being the light of the world, and I've had this picture up now for a while, but I wanted to talk about this a little bit because it, it this, this Feast of Tabernacles or booths involved a celebration of light. And that is that they had these, these four huge lamps, and you can see them here in this, this picture. They would have these on the up at the temple and you could think giant pillars that were like candelabra they were mm -hmm. built and on the first day of the feast they would pour oil into these giant basins and according to one source they would use worn out priestly undergarments made of linen because they could use those as a wick. as wicks sure and mm -hmm. and so then these lamps these gold lamps were lit and it was a time of great joy uh, because the temple was way up on the hill it was the highest point in the city and so you know, even though, you know, an oil lamp wasn't normally bright, these were huge. And right. so it lit up the whole city against the backdrop of that night sky. And this light, according to the Jewish rabbis, was symbolic of Yahweh's presence, his glory that led them through the wilderness. Like you were saying before about the pillar of, of fire that, that led them 
all through those mm-hmm. 40 years. The Shekinah glory that would come on, yes, the, tab- on the temple, the, temple. the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when Jesus came to the temple and he stood up at this, this celebration at the Feast of Booths and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He was making a really radical statement. It was like saying, I am that, I am that pillar. He's using that. I am God. You are celebrating here in Jerusalem. You look forward to celebrate the future coming of the Messiah, but I'm right here. I'm the light, not only of Jerusalem, but for the whole world. And so follow me. And of course, then and now the response that had to be divisive. That had to be a divisive statement. Mm-hmm. You either were, you know, see, you you either were in his camp or you were deeply offended mm-hmm. by anybody saying that. Yeah, yeah. And these people, you could characterize them as blind. I mean, they could Absolutely. not see yeah. who he really was. And yeah. and of course, we know from John one that. And we've talked about how people hate the light. Mm-hmm. They know that that light would expose them mm-hmm. and their sin, but there were still some that received the light. And through the grace of the mm-hmm. of the, the Lord, we none of us are none of us are hungry. None of us are looking. Yes, but God, God, God. works that in us. That's right. It's His initiative. It's His sovereign grace in our lives. And I, I probably use this verse almost. Every lesson, but I just love the way Paul puts it in Second Corinthians when he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And so that's hearkening back to Genesis 1. You know, he's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's like this right here at this moment in Jerusalem that he stands up and he says, I'm, I am here. I am here. And that's just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, all right, we're going to transition to uh, the next two I am statements that are found in John 10. Jesus said, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And so we're going to consider these together because they're kind of mixed all together here in John 10. But this is a really familiar image because it was used a lot in the Old Testament this animal, sheep, is mentioned uh, more than any other animal in the Bible, 200 times uh, in the ESV. And we know that many of our biblical characters were shepherds. And so they they were, in a sense, a type of Jesus to come. And there's some important background in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I included that a whole passage. I don't think we're going to read the whole passage on here, but you should you have that in your lessons, or you can look that up in your Bibles. How would you characterize these shepherds of Israel? It, it's yeah. a very depressing chapter to read. <laughs> they're they're uh, eating the sheep instead of feeding the sheep, and oh. they're not taking care of them, and they're all it, they're, it's a it's a real condemnation of what the priests were doing at the time. That's right. They were just it was cruel. Mm, what they were doing. Absolutely. It was abusive. It was very abusive. Abusive, yeah. Very Mm self-serving. And and so then we also met went to John 10 and we looked for connections to Ezekiel 34. And John 10, of course, is the beautiful passage where 
it starts out like this, and I'll I'll read this passage, or or if you would you like to read it, Jean? You could read it if you'd yeah. like. I'm happy to read it. Okay. Truly, truly, I love it when he says that. Oh, it's I like know. okay, listen up, folks. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Hmm. It's so beautiful. It, it's just amazing. I mean, Jesus wants us to have abundant life. And so he says, here's, here's another way that you can come to know me is that I am the door of the sheep. And of course, it says right here, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So why don't we walk through this figure of speech and see just who's who in this this passage. And I think this is question 22 in your lesson. These sheep, these sheep are who? These are... Uh, uh, this This would be Israel, God's people yeah, that they're God, talking mm -hmm. to, I think. Yeah, God's people. And then we have the thieves. Uh, we, we had that uh, rousing chapter in Ezekiel 34 yes. characterizing what they were like. It was the Pharisees fleecing the sheep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so these, these were these uh, the false religious leaders, right, who were leading their sheep astray that he's speaking okay. about. And then, of course, we have this beautiful picture of the shepherd right. who is Jesus. And then the sheepfold. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I found some different things on that one. Um, the door, I think, was Jesus. He says, "And the door." Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The, the doorkeeper. I'm I'm unsettled on what that is. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, commentaries I looked at said that that represents the um, the hired person who the sheep don't know his voice. And oh. and so that you would have a family, uh, you would have a sheepfold that would have the four or five herds or herds, a family herds. Would, yeah, that would yeah. Would all so kind you, of, all like your a, sheep would be together, and you'd have this hireling that keeps the door closed at night okay. to foxes mm -hmm. or something, unless the wolf comes and he runs off and lets him. <laughs> but yes. then in the morning or whatever, the shepherd comes and calls out his by name, and yeah. and the ones that belong mm -hmm. to him mm -hmm. go with him. So. Yeah. Um, but then this morning somebody said that, that it sounded to the to them like the doorkeeper would be the Holy Spirit maybe and and this all happens through the Holy Spirit and I thought that had merit so I, mm -hmm. I, and I I'm not sure what and I think what's what's interesting about this 
this image or this figure of speech is we can we can make some we can make some really neat connections, but we don't have to have every little part of it like a parable. We don't pull right, it apart right, to right. death so that. But this idea of Jesus as a door is just really really sweet. You know, I think like you said, it might be something like a place where several families kept their sheep, and you know there would be he would keep those out that weren't authorized you know to come, to come get their sheep out so i thought one of the comments i i talked to a woman afterwards this morning who said this idea of the shepherd knowing the sheep or the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice was so sweet and one thing about that that's so sweet about jesus is that you know when a in a case of real sheep knowing their shepherd's voice the shepherd could die, and then what happens to those sheep that have lost the voice of their uh -huh. shepherd? How do they follow a new shepherd? And then she said, "And our shepherd will never die." Oh, thought, oh that was so. That it was so beautiful. It was just that so so comforting. And so mm -hmm. I think this idea of Jesus as the door can provide us some comfort, you know, yes. as well. This I like was thinking about that. This was question twenty three. Mm -hmm. um, you know what comforts you? You know, for me, I think it speaks of security. That was probably the first one that came to mind. Mm -hmm. You shut the door on the things you don't want into your house. That's right. Yeah, you're keeping out the, the things that could come in and, mm -hmm. yeah, cause harm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it also, I think, points to separating, you know, the inside from the mm -hmm. outside, so to speak. And yeah. so that idea of you know, some that are in and some that are out. That There's identity a, thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 5785, that's my house. That's my house. Mm -hmm. You're not You're not part of that. I'm part of that. Yeah. I can go in and shut that door. Right, yeah. That's who I am. Yeah, and so that kind of leads to the, the next question, 24. I had us ponder any other warnings or ways that this passage might lead us to pray. To go back to Matthew 7 and Luke 13, which speak about, you know, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, if Jesus is the door, that's pretty exclusive. Mm -hmm. And there are people in our cultural context today that don't like. That won't go over well. That's right. Because Jesus didn't say, I, I am one of the doors. There's lots of mm -hmm. doors. It's um, a wide open whatever, you yeah, know, that yeah. says the wide gate is easy and leads yeah. to destruction. And many right. there are that, yeah. that whole idea of uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem yeah. like what we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus being the door. Right. It's not like on The Price is Right where you have to choose between door one, <laughs> and door door one door two, two door three. three. <laughs> no, what, what, you know, right. go with whatever door feels right to you. Yeah. No, there is, there is one door. And so I think the thought of God shutting the door is, is really good news for us as believers because it speaks of the security that we have and eternal life. But for those that don't know, Jesus, I think I think it, this is a prompt to pray. Mm -hmm, definitely, um, Lord, you know, open open their eyes so they see you. The doors open. Help them to, you know, trust in you mm -hmm. and believe in you. And one of the verses that you listed here in Luke um, has that phrase: "Depart from me, I never knew you." 
Mm. And, you know, Lord, Lord. And then he says, depart from me. And I think that's one of the saddest verses in scripture that we can be so delusional that we we don't know we're not treasuring Christ. We don't mm. we don't realize that. It's also a call to mercy uh, yes. as a call yeah. to prayer because yes. I don't think we can necessarily tell who, you know, there will be people that we will be surprised Absolutely. when Jesus says, Depart from me. Mm -hmm. So we need mm -hmm. to pray um, yes. that for all of us to sincerely come to this true light, this light. Yes. The truth about God. I, mm -hmm. I loved kind of having that put as almost a definition that the light is the truth about God. Mm -hmm. Wow, do I believe it or not? Yeah, I rather make God in my own image. Although when you think about it, that's a pretty dumb idea. <laughs> but right off the cuff, it just seems like if I could make God the way I wanted, uh -huh. I would. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Jesus' next statement. This is from John ten. 11 through 18, where he says, I am the good shepherd, right? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And I think, wow, this is a really sweet lovely image of Jesus mm -hmm. as our as our good shepherd. And you know, this, I mean, it goes back, I mean, again to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. You know, think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then I had you in your lesson go back to Isaiah uh, 53, which includes two kind of separate images of sheep. The first one asked how are we all like sheep. We've gone astray. We've all gone our own way. Uh, I I understand that if a sheep gets turned upside down, he can't even get himself righted that's, up. That's right. So isn't that a picture of how we are? We're pretty yes, yes, pretty helpless. That's right. And I think you know God could have used a lot of other animals <laughs> mm -hmm. that would have been maybe more flattering to us than humble sheep. But it does illustrate our helplessness and our dependence yeah. on him. Yeah. And then how is Jesus then like a sheep? Because Isaiah talks about this as well. Well, he's like those those sheep under the shepherds in, in uh, Ezekiel where he's oppressed, afflicted, mm -hmm. but he opened not his mouth. He was silent. Silent. Lamb to the slaughter. Yes. So the, the last one that deserved to be slaughtered. That's right. And this, you know, leads us to our next lesson. Uh, lesson six is on Jesus as the Lamb of God and the Son of God. So let's talk a little bit more about Jesus as being this good shepherd. And, you know, how does he care for us? How is he such a good shepherd? I mean, he is, he's the opposite of what we saw in Ezekiel. All right. Right. He is never cruel, never abusive. He cares for, he he feeds us, he leads us. He seeks them out, it said. Yeah. And I just think that that aggressive pursuit or whatever on his part mm -hmm. is, yeah. is so comforting. 
Yes, yes. And, and two, that we know his voice. That must mean we're spending time with him. Yeah. And that must mean he's talking to us. Yeah. He's not just there, okay, guys, here's the grass, eat it. And then he goes and <laughs> reads a book or something. I don't know what a shepherd does, but you know, he's he's obviously interacting with the sheep. And there's some time and intimacy here implied, which which the good shepherd is doing and the yeah. false shepherd is not. Yes, yes. You know, that idea of listening to his voice is something that I mean, for us, we need to be in his word in order to know his voice as apart from the voices of the world that right. are calling in order to be discerning we have to be in his word and right. listen to him yeah i think you know there's an aspect of his protection how he defends off our enemies yes and i think psalm 23 has that image of that rod and that staff mm -hmm. that could be used to fend off enemies but also for discipline when we need it you know if we're straying he might have to grab that shepherd's crook and right you know right. bring us back and and he does he does you know he takes that initiative mm -hmm. so it makes him the good shepherd the, yes. the shepherds in in ezekiel weren't doing that they weren't pursuing the sheep they weren't binding up their wounds they weren't mm -hmm. leading them to good pasture yeah yeah well sheep do need a shepherd and they need a good one so it's uh it's this this is a beautiful beautiful picture so we had a couple of other passages to look at here in john 10 we had john 10 24 through 30. would you you've got that one would you read that one sure thank you so the jews gathered around him and said to him how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the christ tell us plainly Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Mm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that went over as well as I am the light. <laughs> well, but what an amazing security that we have knowing that I mean, the Father has given us to Jesus who keeps us, as, I mean, so securely that nothing can happen. We cannot, it says they will never perish. Never. Yeah. And I just love how it goes on in verse 27 or 37 through 40 of, of John 10, or this, no, this is John 6. Mm -hmm. um, All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There we have that, your favorite word, Jean, come, come comes, come. comes to me, that ongoing coming. Yeah. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Wow. There we have that. 
I mean, this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in the passage we had last week, that we need to look to Jesus. You know, he said he would be raised up and we just look to him and are saved. That is a picture of our of our faith and our trust that we put in him that is just, it's so beautiful. Now, as we wrap up this lesson, we're going to talk about Jesus as the true vine. Here's the fifth of five. And I know this has been a long lesson, so thank you to all of you that are hanging in there and still listening. <laughs> Jean and I are having a great time, aren't we? <laughs> we are. Well, Jesus is getting here to the end of his, uh, what's called the farewell discourse in in John, and he's they're leaving. The disciples are leaving. They're they're leaving the upper room, and Jesus says, "Let us go from here." And so they go through the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane near the Mount of Olives, where we read or you know talked earlier about this is where Jesus was arrested and taken into custody. And so um, some scholars believe that while they're walking, they would have passed by some vineyards on the way, even though that's not stated in the text. But the disciples would have been really familiar with this imagery because it was so common in the Old Testament. So this we're on question 26. We look back at Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80. And just we learned, I mean, just what kind of a vine the nation of Israel was, because that, that was that was one of the images that God used was that they were a vine. So they were uh, they were the covenant people of God, and I think it was was it in Psalm eighty that talked about them being planted mm -hmm. by God, and uh, we just I think we see in these verses just how God was yearning for His people and wanting them to be fruitful and love Him and enjoy Him and be satisfying, but. And giving them everything they needed everything to do, they need. mm -hmm. to produce good fruit. Yeah. And they didn't. And they didn't. They It was still only failure and bad fruit. And so eventually God said, I'm going to take away that hedge of protection and just allow this vineyard to be trampled and destroyed. And burned. And burned. I think, I think the yeah. psalm mentioned burned. Yeah. So, so when we see that Jesus says this now in John, 15, I'll put this passage up here. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And so this would have been this image, like we said, it was very familiar to them. So in what ways do you think Jesus meant that he was the true vine? I think he's contrasting himself with Israel, saying, Mm -hmm. you were to be God's chosen people in the light mm -hmm. of the world and all these things mm -hmm. we've talked about, and you mm -hmm. failed miserably. Yes. And here I come. I'm going to do it right. <laughs> I'm going to show you how, how to do yes. it. Yes. He, has, he, he is the one who has arrived on the scene now. He's the one that all the Old Testament pointed to, and he will be the one that brings forth true fruit, good fruit. You know, he also asserts here in this passage that about what his father does he says my father is the vine dresser and that is interesting to describe you know what the father does and so considering psalm 80 and isaiah 5 you know what what is what does he do here and and, and of course this passage it, it talks about that he the the branch that doesn't bear fruit he takes away um, he prunes 
And this is kind of hard to hear, isn't it? It is. It is. I don't want to be pruned. <laughs> no, it's it's not comfortable. I think it, it's something that, I mean, it, it it's a it's it's hurting, and yet the purpose is for more fruit, yeah. right? But I don't even want to be assessed. You know, I don't want I don't want them poking my branches and saying, you know, this is working or this isn't. You know, <laughs> yeah. But it's just it is comforting to know though that our Father knows exactly what we need. Mm -hmm. And he will care and comfort, you know, he will cultivate us. He will, right. you know, he will do it in a way that is for our good and for his glory. And I, I think that is, you know, a beautiful thing. Yes. I think one of the things that we pondered here at the end of, of class was if we really truly believe that Jesus is the true vine, how should that impact our lives? What are we tempted to rely on, you know, within ourselves or our surroundings um, instead of relying on Jesus? And I think sometimes, like you said, these lessons are really hard to learn. We don't like to be poked and prodded right. and pruned. Um, I don't know. Is there is there any way that you can think of that the Lord has done a pruning kind of work in your life? Oh, yes, because he, he confronts, um, I had a disastrous experience a week or two ago of, of a, a depressingly selfish response to something that happened. And then to make it, not, not only did I respond very selfishly, but I realized it right away. And instead of repenting to the Lord for being so, um, so unchristlike in that. Instead of that, I I compounded it with my pride, saying, "Oh, you know, I thought I was better than that." <laughs> so not only was I, you know did I completely blow the situation, but then I uh, what justified it or whatever, or, or 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 my sorrow. My sorrow was not that I had wounded the heart of the father mm -hmm. and and maybe wounded this other person. My sorrow was, you know, I thought I was better. <laughs> I thought it was above this sort of behavior. You know, I was, I was shocked that that I was so selfish. Then I was shocked that my response was so selfish. <laughs> and then it was only the third time, the third loop around, where I had to say, "Father, you know, forgive me. This was ugly." So I, I think that was a pruning experience yeah. when he made me see mm -hmm. just how ugly that was. Well, he is he is faithful. Yes, he won't leave me that ugly. Not, That's great comfort. He is he is working on us. We are not finished. That's right. And I think that this passage just talks about the the fact that look look what glorifies the Father. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit mm -hmm. and prove to be my disciples. You mm -hmm. know, he loves us enough mm -hmm. that as we're abiding in him, he is doing that work in us. He is He's doing that, you know, pruning us in just the right places that that fruit can be something that will begin to and and grow. and that's a bit of an invitation. in a way, he's saying, you know, there's potential here for you to glorify my father because he's not going to mm -hmm. leave you as selfish mm -hmm. as you want to be. Mm -hmm. So just that hopefulness that yeah. he's not saying, "Oh, more wild grapes, that's it. I'm done. You know, he doesn't do that, yeah. 
And I just love the way this particular passage closes. He, when he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in mm -hmm. you and that your joy may be full. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is my prayer for, for all of us here in, you know, that are doing this study that we would just have such joy as we come to know Jesus, that we would just continue to treasure him. As we wrap up, I would just like to pray and just thank you, Jean, for being with us. This has just been a delight to sit and to visit with you over God's word. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you for the bread of life, for the light of the world, for the door, the good shepherd, the true vine. Thank you that when we abide in you, we can bear fruit and we have your joy that just bubbles up from inside of us. So I pray, Lord, that you would just help all of us to treasure you more, to love you more, to share your love with others. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.